Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at everything going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and general animal weirdness. And uh, y'all... When it comes to weirdness, uh, I am working on a lot of that right now because I am so excited to officially announce on here, I've been talking about it on socials a lot, that on Tuesday, I will be releasing my first ever winter holiday special. And uh, I'm going to be giving you guys some insights into it this whole week on the socials. But I have never done anything even remotely like this before, y'all. It's going to be crazy. There are over a dozen guests that will be appearing on the show. We're going to be doing jokes and parody songs and sketches and uh, all kinds of stuff. We also have um, two kind of featured mini interviews, interviews, if you will, uh, focusing on oh, a couple different things. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what it is right now, but um, you're going to enjoy the heck out of those. And so, yeah, and I wanted to let you all know um, all of my, my Zoo News listeners are going to get to hear the title of the special before anyone else. I've been referring to it as the holiday special on my socials, but this will be your opportunity to officially hear the Rossafari old-timey non-denominational holiday special. I, I picture it like one of those old variety shows that people would listen to around the radio, kind of mixed with um, like an SNL type, you know, aesthetic. And then, of course, we'll still have that Rossafari stuff. It's all animal-based. It's all animal fun. I have been writing like a crazy person and reaching out and getting in touch with people to get all of the content from them. This has been, without a doubt, the most insane week of the podcast ever. And I am here for it. It is so much fun. And uh, the stuff that I've gotten already is so great. Uh, I will tell you, I'm working very hard on that, which means this might be a little bit shorter this week, and I'm recording it a little earlier in the week than usual. Um, We'll see. I always record these uh, in order, so I, I don't actually know. But if this is a little bit shorter, it's because I'm already back over in another project in Logic, working on the incredible special. You know, it's going to have sound effects and all. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm so excited. People are always like, hey, don't overhype things. Then people won't like them as much, but I am hyping the crap out of this because I'm super duper excited. All right. So there's one other thing that I wanted to touch on kind of um, before we get to the Zoo News stuff. And it's I guess it's going to be slightly controversial for some people. Uh, but I do have I do have a workaround uh, for for some of you for that. Um, so recently, 
I started playing the game Hogwarts Legacy. Now, I know that, uh, you know, there is some controversy over the Harry Potter situation right now. And my take on it is very simple. If you don't want to give the person in question any money, buy a used copy of the game and you can still play it. Now, I know for some people, uh, even just just playing the game is is going to bother them and cause them, you know, problems and concerns and issues. And that's fine. But, um, I, you know, my take on everything is we kind of need to stop telling other people how to live their lives a little bit. And so, uh, yeah, I'm playing the game and I am enjoying it. And the reason I'm mentioning this is not just to have a hot take in an episode here, um, but it's because the the storyline, one of the main storylines in the game, actually revolves around a lot of the stuff that we're talking about on the podcast week in and week out. Um, one of the main uh, kind of villainous activities that is happening is poaching of the magical beasts in the land. And you are able to go out and defeat the poachers. And beyond that, you're actually able to save uh, some of the wild beasts and um, either rehome them and, and get them into safe homes where they cannot be poached anymore, or even take care of them yourselves in a very cool way. I won't give anything away, but I was I was very impressed with how this was done. And uh, it, it includes some basic husbandry, like feeding them and giving them enrichment and stuff like that. I was shocked. And frankly, I find it to be one of the most relaxing and fun things I've ever had in a video game. The fact that all of this tied in so beautifully to, um, you know, humans taking care of animals and stopping poaching and uh, even deals with like the prices of what animals from the wild can get you and stuff. Uh, it's all really fascinating to me. And so if you have considered playing the game, I, I just wanted to put that out there and let you know that, um, you know, there there is this whole thing that uh, you might like if you're into the whole animal thing. And hey, if that's not the world you want to be in, the, the world of Hogwarts, mad respect. I totally get it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I at least wanted to share that that is out there for all of my listeners. So uh, I have said more than enough about all of this. And without further ado, let's get to it. Well, it's one for the pandas, two for the bears, three for the monkeys. Now you should care, now won't you listen to Zoot News? Oh, you could do anything, but why not listen to Zoot News? All right, so we are starting this section off uh, with our births and deaths, although it's really just one death this week that we're going to talk about. Um, but I am so excited about this first story. So the Potawatomi Zoo has announced the birth of three African painted dog puppies or African painted doglets. And uh, the pups are currently not named, but are being referred to as blue, red, and orange for the colors the staff have used to track them since birth. But that is not why I'm excited. I'm excited because their mother abandoned the pups when they were born. Now, okay, that's a weird sentence to say that I'm excited about that out of context, but stay with me. So, the zoo decided to hand rear the pups. However, because canine social structure is so important to African painted dogs, 
the zoo teamed up with the Indiana Council for Animal Welfare to find a golden retriever mom named Cassie who was brought in to raise the pups along with her own. She took to them in no time, and a hybrid golden retriever slash painted dog family was born. The pups are currently 11 weeks old and are absolutely thriving, and you can check out the Potawatomi Zoo socials to see the entire family hanging out together, and shocker, dot, 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 they are adorable. I love this story so stinking much. And actually, speaking of painted dogs, the Oklahoma City Zoo has announced the birth of six African painted dog pups, or again, African painted doglets. All of the pups are currently doing well, and it seems the mom is doing a good job being a mother, which is always super exciting to hear, even if it means you don't get a cute story about a golden retriever mixed family situation. Um, in fact, though, uh, you know, here at the Oklahoma City Zoo, everything is going so well. The staff is leaving the dogs alone for the time being, only monitoring them through video cameras to make sure that everything is going well. So congrats to the team. And the Oregon Zoo or Oregon Zoo, I always get yelled at whenever I say any of those, uh, has announced the birth of a new rhino calf or rhinelet. The eastern black rhino baby was born to 11-year-old mother Josie, and it weighed in at around 100 pounds. All right, we'll be back after this quick break. What's all around you, almost everywhere you look, and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. Mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now. You're going to like learning about these birds. I guarantee it. And yet again. Animal care staff have managed to take a hands-off approach as Josie has been doing a great job taking care of her baby. Congrats to everyone at the zoo. I'm not saying your name again or I'll get yelled at. And then finally, in births this week, the Memphis Zoo has announced the birth of a colobus monkey named Rigby. Rigby is the offspring of Abana and Dr. Rajesh Kuthrapali, which is just an amazing name for a monkey, so I'm mentioning it here. I, I think that's one of the uh, scientists on The Big Bang Theory. I don't really watch that show, but I, I think I've got that right. But uh, regardless, I just really like any time that an animal is named with doctor in the name. I, I like when uh, animals get honorifics. We know a few red pandas like that, and uh, I just think it's pretty cool. Um, but anyway, Abana is a first-time mother, but has also, as with all of these other stories except for the first one, taken really well to motherhood. Uh, that's actually really important here because uh, colobus monkey mothers often do not do very well uh, when it's their first time. Uh, 
Um, yeah, so it's it's always a little bit tricky for a first time colobus monkey mom. Colobus monkey? Momkey? Yeah, anyway, anyway. Uh congrats to the team at the Memphis Zoo. And uh while I mentioned we have only one death to discuss this week, it is uh, a bit of a doozy. Uh the the team at the Aquarium of Niagara has announced the passing of DJ, the oldest Humboldt penguin at the aquarium. A quality-of-life examination performed by the veterinarians sadly showed that DJ's declining mobility was having too much of an impact on her life and overall well-being. As such, the decision was made to humanely euthanize her. While this is obviously a sad loss, the incredible thing about this story is that DJ was 33 years old. The average lifespan of the species is between 15 and 20 years, so that is absolutely incredible. Sending love and condolences to the team at the aquarium, but also all the props in the world for giving DJ such a long and incredibly healthy life. Okay, and that brings us to our normal Zoo News section. And uh, y'all, we are going to start this one off with a really heavy story. I apologize in advance for this one. The Natural Bridge Zoo in Virginia has been raided by federal agents for, well, frankly, all kinds of issues. Uh, This is a completely unaccredited zoo, with the exception of the USDA inspections that all facilities that have any animals have to undergo. And uh, honestly, this is frankly, it's a horror story, y'all. 95 animals have been seized from the zoo after Virginia State Police searched the zoo for two days after allegations of animal cruelty. The search warrant describes numerous animals found with various health ailments, filthy habitats, improper care being provided regularly to said animals, and a lack of appropriate food and water. That's like the most basic need, y'all. Stories have also come out about the treatment of sick and dead animals, including a dead goat that was left unattended in the goat yard for over an hour one time. When the raid first happened, the zoo tried to get ahead of the negative press, stating that the zoo had been raided unfairly, and stating that the agents didn't know what they were doing, and that the rules that they set up and their lack of understanding led to many animals not being fed or given water all day. Finally, the zoo went on to allege that agents forced a sick tiger named Zeus to enter a habitat with a healthy tiger, who then attacked and killed Zeus. However, in both reading reports from other people and talking directly off the record to some people who have first-hand knowledge of the incident— I can confirm that Zeus had been euthanized before the raid, possibly, though this is only alleged, because the zoo was aware the raid was going to occur and didn't want additional citations based on Zeus's health and care. And then, like I said, they literally just tried to blame that death on the agents. Um, All of this is alleged. I just need to point that out again. Although, again, I trust my sources who told this to me. 
Now, along with finding the dead tiger, agents found dozens of animals they expected to be alive that were not that, including lemurs, birds, a mini donkey, an alligator, pythons, turtles, and more. The warrant also revealed that a confidential informant had started working at the zoo sometime before the raid. This informant reported on talks with various keepers about husbandry styles that are not acceptable, including using bullhooks, a pole with a metal hook and tip on it, to, quote, gain respect through fear and to make sure that when hitting an animal such as an elephant with a bullhook, that it is essential to hit where bone is close to the flesh to make it count because the only reason you hit an elephant is for intimidation. Yup. The elephant in question, named Asha, was also shackled and chained to a wall where she was forced to have upwards of 191 guests ride her every single day, with the 250-pound limit suggested for elephant rides which are something that not I nor good zoos agree with existing at all. Just want to point that out. Uh, But the limit was routinely ignored. Many of the animals that were taken by the agents have been moved to a sanctuary in Colorado, and the rehoming effort continues as of this recording. However, I can confirm that many good zoos are stepping up to try to rescue these animals and give them the best home possible for the rest of their lives. And again, I I, kind of want to point out two things here. First of all, uh, not all unaccredited zoos are bad zoos. And secondly, bad things do happen at accredited zoos from time to time. However, one reason I'm so passionate about the AZA and ZAA accreditation is that stuff like this can't happen in those situations. This was the worst kind of example of a roadside zoo, and honestly, I'm just scratching the surface with what I've talked about on here. It both boggles my mind and hurts my heart to not only think of animals in these conditions, but to realize that people working there had to be aware of what was going on and, as the informant showed, at least some of them were actively a part of it. This is the antithesis of the kind of person I think of when I think of a zookeeper. I started this podcast, and continue it with the almost insane passion that I do, because of the amazing people I have met that are doing this job. To think of the kind of person that it must take to do this amazing job in such a disgusting manner genuinely makes my blood run cold. All I can say at this point is that I'm hoping for solace for the animals that have been rescued, and I I pray that all of the humans involved get everything that is coming to them. I I need to point out that, um, again, the owner of the zoo has stated that they did nothing wrong, that this is ridiculous, etc., 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 and, um, you know, they'll have their day in court. So once more, all of this is alleged, nothing here to sue about, but uh, I'm pretty disgusted by the entire, entire story, y'all. Okay, okay. 
I feel like we need a palate cleanser after that story. So let's go in the completely opposite direction. USA Today has done their top 10 Zoolites list for the year. And even though it was voted on by readers, meaning the list is basically meaningless since people usually only go to one or two and then vote for their own zoo, I'm going to share it with you now anyway. Now, you may remember that last year I mentioned multiple times that the Cincinnati Zoo member group on Facebook had people, not employees of the zoo, but just members, doing daily reminders to vote. Well, they did that again this year, so let's see if it worked like it did last year. I know, we're building some tension here. It's pretty exciting stuff. So without further ado, your top 10 zoo lights for 2023 are Number 10. Wild lights at the Living Desert Zoo and Gardens. Number 9. Wild lights at Detroit Zoo. Number 8. Zoo lights at San Antonio Zoo. Number seven, the Oklahoma City Zoo Safari Lights. Number six, Christmas at the Zoo at the Indianapolis Zoo. Number five, Wild Lights at St. Louis Zoo. Number four, Holiday Nights at Zoo Montana. Number three, the Electric Safari at Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. Number two, Lights Before Christmas at the Toledo Zoo. And number one, the Festival of Lights at the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Gardens. Those crazy kids in the member group did it again. Students from the Rhode Island School of Design have been working on creating objects thoughtfully designed to be used as enrichment at Roger Williams Park Zoo. The school actually has a course called Design for Animal Enrichment, in which students work to create objects to provide mental and physical stimulation for the bat-eared foxes, giraffes, river otters, monkeys, and even a snow leopard that live at the zoo. The objects are donated to the zoo, and the best part of all of this is that the final exam, so to speak, takes place when zookeepers actually put the items into the habitats with the animals, and the students and professor are there and get to see what happens. Very, very cool. All right, so um, I'm sticking with like a, a whole lot of kind of cute and and cool stories after that first one, I guess. Um, Okay, so uh, remember the elephant twins at Rosamond Gifford Zoo in Syracuse? Well, one of them, Yad, has made headlines recently for taking an elfie or elephant selfie. That's actually not my bad pun. That was the zoo's bad pun, and I'm just totally here for it. So I'm sharing it. Uh, Don't worry, the zoo didn't get the elephant, the largest iPhone ever made. The truth is, the photos in question were taken by one of the elephant care staff members, but they really do look just like Yad is smiling and using his trunk to snap a photo of himself. So um, I highly recommend going to at Syracuse Zoo on socials to see the pictures for yourself. The Save the Chimps Sanctuary in Florida recently had a really unique fundraising event. 
Members of new wave pop band the B-52s, most famous for their song Love Shack, recently drew some paintings along with the chimps of the sanctuary, which they then auctioned off to raise money for the sanctuary. Now, don't get it twisted. The band didn't paint with the chimps simultaneously. Instead, band members painted the base coat and then shipped the canvases off to the chimps to add their chimpy artwork. This is the kind of thing that I think is absolutely cool and also just something I never thought I would be reporting on. It's the B-52s teaming up with chimps to raise money for a sanctuary. Okay. But seriously, it's it's really cool and it makes me really happy. It's just... Have you ever noticed that the world is weird and, and gets weirder sometimes? But hey, I'll take the good weird any day, right? All right, so this next story isn't exactly new news, which is, I guess, kind of the definition of the word news, huh? But um, it is a very cool story, and it started getting more attention this week thanks to a post by friend of the pod, Joel Sartore. How cool is that to say? Um, and, and, and a photo that he published from our friends at Zoo Atlanta. So Joel put out a photo of plowshare tortoises, one of the rarest tortoise species in the world. Living on the island of Madagascar, plowshare tortoises used to thrive, but habitat loss, fires, and the illegal pet trade have led to this species being declared functionally extinct in the wild, meaning that while there are still some individuals in the wild in Madagascar, there isn't a sustainable and growable wild population. However, the newsy bit, and it's good news, is that facilities like Zoo Atlanta are participating in coordinated zoo-based breeding programs in the hopes of conserving this species. Now, maybe the plowshare tortoise will even get to be released back into the wild again someday, thanks to facilities like Zoo Atlanta and their partners. And actually, I'm going to have a cool story about that exact type of thing coming up in conservation news here in just a moment. But first, our last zoo news story of the week. So I mentioned uh, on here a while ago that friend of the pod, Ron McGill, had started to publicly speak out about a water park that was slated to be built in the parking lot area of Zoo Miami, despite the fact that the zoo had told staff not to negatively comment about the project. Ron made it clear that he was speaking as a private citizen, but that the environmental toll taken by the project in question would be too drastic for him to remain silent. Well, we now have a follow-up on that story. After Ron started speaking out against the project based on the work done by scientists and conservationists to illustrate the problem with the proposed water park, many other citizens, including other team members at Zoo Miami, functioning as private citizens, also started speaking out against the project. And now, after much deliberation, the Miami-Dade Board of County Commissioners has officially voted to withdraw the proposal, effectively killing off the water park and preserving the habitat for many species. I am so impressed with Ron McGill for his willingness to speak out against this proposal and to rally the troops and help get this important mission accomplished. What a cool guy. 
song Here to bring you to Conservation News all right, so we've only got two conservation news stories this week, and the biggest one uh, could actually also fit into the zoo news section, but I wanted to save it for here. An antelope species that had been declared extinct in the wild has now been downlisted to endangered. This is the first time this has happened as part of the IUCN's new Extinct in the Wild initiative, and it is very, very exciting news. The animal in question is one I have long found incredible, the scimitar-horned oryx. The population was thriving at the start of the 1980s, but hunting took a huge toll on the species over the next two decades, and in the year 2000, the species was declared extinct in the wild. However, the Environmental Agency of Abu Dhabi teamed up with the IUCN to try to bring the scimitar-horned oryx back to the wild, and they were able to do just that. A new population was brought into the wilds of Chad uh, from human care and is now considered a self-sustaining population, allowing for the delisting. The program has been so successful that 510 calves— or orcslets, that's a tricky one, uh, have been born in the wild. That is so many more than the zero that were born when they were extinct in the wild. And uh, yeah, I'm an idiot, I know. <laughs> but anyway, here's the thing that I have to point out that's, um, well, not negative, but yeah. While this is in conservation news, because it was an effort between a government agency and the IUCN, all of the original animals that were released into the wild came from human care. Zoos involved include the Smithsonian's National Zoo, the Memphis Zoo, Whipsnade Zoo, Fossil Rim Wildlife Center, and the St. Louis Zoo. And possibly others? It's hard to say because honestly, it was hard to even find those names. Which goes to a point I keep making. Zoos need to do a better job promoting this kind of work. They're doing the work, and it's amazing work, but it needs to be promoted. The fact that I was literally digging for names, knowing exactly what I was looking for, and still had to do multiple searches to find the few names that I said, none of which, uh, by the way, did I find from their own promotional materials except for Whipsnade in Memphis, it just says a lot about how zoos have to do a better job communicating this stuff, right? Um, and, and I'm not trying to turn a, a huge positive into a negative here. But just just pause and think for a second about the fact that I am a guy who is wildly invested in zoos. I not only follow a boatload of zoos and other, um, you know, types of zoo pages and conservation pages, but I have an entire team of y'all sending me this stuff. And I still had to go do an extended search to find those names. And I still don't know if that's a comprehensive list. That's absolutely crazy. Um, so yeah, this is a, a huge story for so many reasons, but please, if you work at a zoo and you are listening to this, make sure that your team is promoting the amazing, often behind the scenes, often not like really pretty picture, but it's really important work stuff that y'all are doing. 
these are the things that we can point to when the anti-zoo crowd comes out and is like, bah, bah, Zeus, meh. And because that's what they all sound like to me anyway. And uh, yeah, these are the cool stories that, that really make a difference. Because honestly, talking about the other really good stuff, like, oh, I don't know, a penguin who lives, you know, more than double what their, their average life expectancy could be, that's amazing. But you're always going to have the people that say, they'd rather live a short life in the wild. Again, this is this is what they all sound like to me. Um, but but you can't really argue with the fact that these these oryxes were released into the wild and now they're not extinct in the wild. That's uh, it's just such a cool story. I love this one so, so, so much. And then the other story in conservation news. Well, it's something we'll have to keep an eye on. It turns out that North American river otters have started showing up in multiple places they haven't been seen in decades, returning to habitats that have been otter-free for all that time. And the weird thing about this is, no one seems to know why. Eh, at least not yet. Now, obviously, scientists who have noticed this trend are curious about it and are trying to figure it out, but as of now... They have no clue. There hasn't been any indication that river otters are leaving other parts of their habitat, nor that their habitats are too saturated with uh, too large of a population, so they need to, like, expand to new areas. Uh, though, admittedly, there have not been formal studies confirming or denying either of these things. It just hasn't appeared that way to the, the naked eye. Or the eye with glasses. Probably a lot of scientists wear glasses, and, and technically that's no longer a naked eye. These are the things that I think. Anyway, uh, we'll have to keep an eye, naked or otherwise, on this one for sure, and see what those pesky and adorable critters are up to. In other news. And in other news this week, dolphins have gotten even more impressive. So we already know that bottlenose dolphins are incredible hunters. They hunt using a mixture of their keen eyesight, impressive hearing, and obviously their amazing echolocation. It turns out, though, that uh, they actually have another tool in the toolbox as well. Researchers have discovered that bottlenose dolphins have dimples called vibrissal pits on their beaks, which can actually perceive electricity. It's believed these pits help them find food and also navigate the waters as quickly as they do. Now, you might be thinking, vibrisso uh, sounds like vibracy, uh, the whiskers animals like walruses have. Well, you're not wrong. In fact, baby dolphins are actually born with whiskers in these pits, though they fall out shortly after birth, so researchers always assumed they were non-functional. Now, the only other mammals that have been found with electroreception that works exactly like this are platypuses and echidnas. So hey, maybe this means dolphins are monotremes? Do, do dolphins secretly lay eggs? Tune in next week to find out. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Obviously, that's not the case. Uh, this could simply be an example of convergent evolution in which two or more species develop the same traits despite not being related to each other. 
Regardless, this is a very, very cool finding, and I will be curious to see what else comes from it. All right, it is still December, the Animalist Month. Boo, December. I just like saying that. Uh, now, as for individual days, uh, well, this is another week that is is light on animal holidays. Like, real light. As in, there are none. All week. None. But the Christmas bird count has officially started, which runs from today through January 5th. And... Those are very much not your animal holidays for the week. So there you have it, folks. Rasafari Zoo News is done for another week. And I hope that you are already just so excited for Tuesday. Be excited for Tuesday. I'm excited for Tuesday. The uh, Rasafari Old Timey Non-Denominational Holiday Special is going to be amazing. Or you all will hate it and I will just be laughing by myself. Either way, I'm actually kind of okay with either one of those. Uh, I'd also like to remind you all that I do still have my contest running. You can leave ratings, you can leave reviews, and you can make donations uh, to the Lehigh Valley Zoo's Red Panda Habitat uh, through my um, GoFundMe, and all of those things will help you get entered to possibly win things like the Peppermint Narwhal 2024 Animal Holiday Calendar, like a couple of stuffies with special, unique, one-of-a-kind Rasafari t-shirts, and like the Penguins of the World sweatshirt that was so in demand recently from L.E. Artisan Studio and my good friend Laura, the artist there. Uh, Laura, by the way, will also be contributing to the holiday special in a way that I'm not going to tell you about yet. So there. Also, don't forget, for as little as $3 a month, you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash rossafari. And I'd like to say thank you to all of my patrons, including my Red Panda-level patrons, Dr. Laura Shank, Dr. Stephen Williamson, and Barbara Bennett. And then finally, it's that time for the name thing. Thank you to everyone who contributed to the episode this week, including Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley-Croninger, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Marianne Rossi, Mary Blair, Emily Rockbuck, Justin Fairchild, Jacob Zinn, Sam Evans, Jay Meredith, Dr. Laura Shank, Crystal Chapman, Michael Sebastian, Ali Malensky, and Kay Malensky. I know you were worried that they weren't going to do it this week, but they got in under the wire. Yeah, they did. The Malenskys. Ooh, I started that one high. Anyway... Uh, and, uh, yeah, so it's been a lot of fun doing this with y'all. Hope y'all enjoyed this episode. Again, I'll see you on Tuesday. I'm so excited. And don't forget, the words newsy credits backwards are Steiderk Yiswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.
lol, you don't get an outtake this week because I didn't actually screw up like any of this, which is crazy. But I guess this still kind of counts as an outtake because it's here. I don't know. Bye.